0: We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to napod.xyz if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Come up to the podium uh, to speak, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to hearing them. Uh, a big round of applause for our guest speaker.
1: Morning, everybody. My name is Larry and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, the Pirate's Den is now open. Um, I've had a great morning already, uh, dancing with everybody in the kitchen there. And uh, I mean, the atmosphere is great here. Um, last night after the meeting, we all went over. A couple of us went to Lindsay's house and we had some fish and chips. And uh, we had to listen to Derek and Eric sing uh, Madonna song like a virgin and uh, and as we all know there 's nobody near that back there but uh but i 've enjoyed myself and uh and i 'm really glad uh, i 'm really glad to be be here this morning at all I mean to have over two people show up and listen to the traditions is amazing you know and um, so i'm i 'm really privileged to be here you know um Love and service is the key here. That's all that it's about. And I don't serve anything I don't love, and I eventually begin to love the thing that I serve. And, uh, when I think about the traditions in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the thought of Akron or New York or World Services doesn't even enter my mind. When I think of the traditions, I think about exactly what happened here this morning. What we have here is our own little atmosphere. Right here, this is what we need to take care of, you know. Um, When I think of my sobriety, the thought of drugs or alcohol doesn't even enter my mind. When I think about sobriety today, I think about the way I live. I think about what I'm like when I'm with you and when I'm away from you and how I behave out there. And that everything about my personality has been brought out by the people of Alcoholics Anonymous. And how privileged we are to have a, a meeting like this and 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 when people talk of their home group you know how proud they are you know um i didn't used to be like that not at all you know uh alcoholics anonymous was just some place for me to just to come and get you know and i didn't know nothing about the traditions and i didn't care about it about the traditions you know and um And I began to work the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you are trying to have that, see, we have this thing, a spiritual thirst. And for a long time, it was quenched by whiskey. And even though the alcohol has been removed, we still have that spiritual thirst. And the only thing that seems to quench that is us trying to have the spiritual awakening are trying to keep that awakening possible by perpetuating the gift. That is what this whole thing about is step 12. It's about for people who are trying to attain that or the people who are trying to retain it. You see, if, if this is not your goal and if this is not why you're here, these traditions mean nothing to you. And therefore, they're for somebody else to do. But when Alcoholics Anonymous becomes the only answer that you have and that you become willing to go to any length to do what it takes to have this experience, then you begin to take care of the place where that happens. And this is the only place that it happens for people like me and you, is Alcoholics Anonymous, you see. Think about it if you will. Where you were the day before you come to Alcoholics Anonymous, just drift back. Think about that day and what you were feeling like and where you were at and what you were doing. And I need to ask you one question. What would you do if there was no AA? Where would you be? What would you be doing? And the answer is never pretty. The answer is never pretty. And so for people like us who have no place else to go, I mean, this is the last house on the block. I mean, when you come to AA and you don't cut it, we don't say, well, why don't you go down there and try it? You know what I mean? This is it, you know? You know? It's like uh, we had a newcomer at our meeting and somebody was saying that Alcoholics Anonymous is an inside job. And the little new guy raised his head and he says, how do you get in? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, is that there's no dues or fees, you know. For, for those who are sufferers, we become willing to do anything to lift this merciless obsession. And I can't think of a better word for this malady that we have, is merciless, you know? And what happens to Alcoholics Anonymous for people like me and you, and we've witnessed it all in our home groups and stuff, is people actually do these steps and they apply these traditions and after a while the obsession to drink is removed. And then after a little period of time, these same very people who had this obsession removed go out and drink. And the new guy is scratching his head. Well, I I thought the guy had, you know, I thought he was a free man. It's an amazing thing. The obsession to drink never comes back as a form of, for God's sake, man. Can't you take that to the back of the room? We're gonna have a ten-minute break. (laughs) Can't you take care of your spiritual thirst somewhere else for a minute? What happened? You choked on a sausage. (laughs) So. And so the obsession is removed, and we wonder how these people drink again. And that's and it's very clear. The obsession to drink never comes back as a form of a drink. The obsession to drink will always come back as a form of "I don't need to do this anymore." People just don't wake up and drink. No, for God's sakes, man. No more dancing with you. And so uh, what happens is uh, the obsession to drink never comes back as a form of a drink. It comes back as a form of, I don't need to do this anymore. And people begin to back away from the very thing that gave them life, you see. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy at all. And so uh, it becomes necessary for me to do things uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, to take care of this very thing that's saving my life. You see, it's just like the room is set up today. We've got people in the front. We've got people in the back. And very few stay in the middle. And that's where I need to be. Not so much as as far as the seating plan or anything, but that's where I need to be in AA. I need to be right in the middle of AA. You know, because I've got the type of head that just talks me out of anything good for me. And tradition one, and and that was one of the things that you guys had taught me, that there's a big difference between the traditions and customs. The traditions cannot be changed, but it's custom that in every group that people take cakes. It's customary that some people say their last name and some people don't. It's a custom for people to get chips. It's a custom to whether have a speaker meeting or not or to wear a. These are all customs. These are things that the individual or the groups vote on. These, these are mainstays, but yet we find people trying to poke holes in the very thing that's saving their lives, not for any other difference, but for their own comfort. They have no concern about who's following. They got theirs. They have no concern about perpetuation. They have no care or concern about who, who shook your hand when you were new. Nothing that enters their mind. They're just in it for their own comfort. And how deadly that can be, you know? Um, tradition one says, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. The unity of Alcoholics Anonymous is the most cherished quality our society has. Our lives and the lives of all to come depend squarely on it. We stay whole or AA dies. And without unity, the heart of AA would cease to beat. Our world arteries would no longer carry the life-giving grace of God. His gift to us would be spent aimlessly. And back in their caves, we would go. Those who look closely soon have the key to this strange paradox. The AA member has to conform to the principles of recovery. A fact. The AA member has to conform to the principles of recovery. His life actually depends on obedience to spiritual principles. If he deviates too far, the penalty is sure and swift, he sickens and dies. At first he goes along because he must, but later he discovers a way of life that he really wants to live. Moreover, he finds he cannot keep this priceless gift unless he gives it away. Neither he or anybody else can survive unless he carries the AA message. The moment this 12-step work forms a group, another discovery is made that most individuals cannot recover unless there is a group. Realization dawns that he is but a small part of a great whole. He learns that the clamor of desires and ambitions within him must be silenced. And whenever these could, could damage the group. It becomes plain to that group that the group must survive or the individual will not. I need you. I am not the most important person in this room. I need this group to survive. So how does one how does one guy like me how do you how do you put a part of the unity what can you do to to make, to take part in unity of a group well that's why we have our chores that's why we have commitments it's up to us to keep this room together and to set up the chairs what can i do to contribute to this group am i just coming here to dump and to get something or is there something that i can actually do To keep this thing that I want so much from. You see, when I think of my home group, I think of my very own home that I live in. I think of me and my little wife, Rosie, and our dog, Heidi. And what would I do to protect that home? Would I let somebody come in and just run roughshod over anybody? Or would I want them to conform to the principles of the house? If that, if that guy came into our house, would we make him start doing chores, you know what I mean? Or we make him feel like a guest and stuff like that. See, this is where I live. My home group and Alcoholics Anonymous is where I live, and I don't expect anybody to take care of it for me. I want to do something that I can to contribute. Now, that goes totally against my nature, because I've been a something-for-nothing guy my entire life. I, didn't, I used to think that traditions and, and stuff was just for somebody else to do. I didn't know that they applied to me. And I didn't know that I could personalize them. I didn't know that there were things that I could actually do. I didn't know that these traditions would start bring about parts of my personality that would benefit me later on in life. That it would teach me how to go along and, and take a part in what can I do for the unity at work. And what can I do to conform to the unity uh, in my home and in the neighborhood? See, I didn't know that that was going to happen to me, you know. But for, for, the, the, for the sounding of the, of the first tradition and stuff like that, it's up to me to do what I can to, to keep the unity of my group. What can I do to contribute, you know. And, uh, and you guys have taught me that, you know, that, that the very life that I love so much, depends on my participation and what I can do for Alcoholics Anonymous so that that new guy, when he comes in, has got the same chance that I did. The very same chance. Now, what am I like when that new guy comes in? Am I against the wall with my friends, wondering who he is? Who is that guy? Or am I one of the guys that we had here today? Am I welcoming him? Remember how good that felt when somebody welcomed you into AA? When's the last time that happened? You know, I had people driving 200 miles just to kick my ass. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, man, and and people welcome me, you know. And that's the very thing, you know, that if you're new, you know, uh, we don't, we don't, We're not going to make you stay, but we're going to give you something that probably hasn't happened to you for a long time. We want to invite you. This is an invitation. We'd like to invite you to a brand new way of life and that you got people in this room that will go to any length to help you get what has to offer in this book. We will go to any length so that you can sit quietly in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and have that miracle happen. That when there's... Enough silence, and there's enough attention being drawn to the meeting for that one thing to happen to that new man, and that is where maybe he can identify. For the first time in his life, the room is quiet enough where he, first time in his life he identifies with somebody up there because you're sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And he said, my God, I I did that. Or that gal says, my God, I thought I was the only one that did that. I mean, we come from a world of secrecy, we don't. I mean, that was the whole name of the game is keep them out. Don't let anybody know what's going on in here. I had a life of images. I've always had an image to hide behind, whether it be a little hoodlum or a little low rider or whatever it was. And the name of the game was to keep them out. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, the name of the game is let us in. Let us in so we can let you out. No longer do you have to feel different anymore about what's going on. It ain't about getting perfect here, you know that. It's plain to see, you know. And that's what makes these traditions so valuable. Is you've got people who are selfish and self-centered, irresponsible, liars, cheats and thieves, perverted individuals, every one of us. And we come to Alcoholics Anonymous and no matter what our race, our color, our creed or whatever, we come in here and all of that is gone. For some reason, for the first time, and I was a very prejudiced man. I was prejudiced against everybody. I hated everything because I couldn't stand me. Hated everybody. Had nothing to do with race. Had it, Just hated everybody. And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and eventually... I started having to sponsor these very individuals that I hated, and the miracle took place. I had no idea that the man was was black. I had no idea that the man was gay. I had no idea that the man was a Protestant or a Catholic or a Jew, had no idea. And I don't know what happened to me, but it all left the room. It all left my head when the first time in my life I went over to... The first guy I sponsored was a, was a little blind guy. I used to lower my voice so I'd seem taller to him. You know what I mean? And he was the first guy that I sponsored. He was a little blind guy, man. You talk about the blind leading the blind, man. I tell you, that was a perfect example. And I learned so much from that guy. I learned that this man's whole life depended on somebody he couldn't see. That his whole life depended on every word that I was telling him. And that it it would do no good for me to lie to this guy. And we were just, and that's all we ever did was tell lies. That's all we ever did was tell, because we couldn't stand the truth. And all of this stuff was pushed aside for our primary purpose, man. What an unbelievable thing happens to us in Alcoholics Anonymous. What an unbelievable gift we have. And the privilege to take care of that. So that very thing that has happened to you can happen to somebody else. See, when Alcoholics Anonymous first started and they got these new guys, where would they take them? They would take them to the Oxford group. Or they would take them to to the place and they would start hunting down drunks. They would take them to town's Hospital. And the thought to some of you folks is, well, how come they didn't take them to meetings? Because there wasn't any. They didn't have any groups. They were all meeting in houses. They were all meeting at Dr. Bob's house or Henry's house or Ernie's house. And they'd all gather up in these houses, 10 or 12 of them. And that's where the word home group got its name. That's where the home group got its name. They were meeting there, in and they took care of that house. And this is our house, whether it be the pirate's den or the Glasgow speak, this is our house, and it's up to us to take care of that. Now, what about these new guys that come into Alcoholics Anonymous who are who are disrupting the meeting and they're drunk and and you know you you know and they, you can't kick me out of AA, they shout. Well, nobody can kick you out of AA. Nobody can kick you out of AA, but you don't have the right to disrupt a meeting. If you're disrupting a meeting it's up to us to take care of that guy. And we're not kicking him out of AA. What we're doing is taking him outside and maybe calming him down or something like that because no individual has the right to ruin our meeting. He's not the only one there. But he doesn't have the right to disrupt the meeting either. And so we just, a couple of the guys, we just take him outside and calm them down and do what we have to do to preserve the unity of the group. Everybody can take part in, in joining in with the unity of the group. It's not just up to two or three individuals. You see, when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous for a long, long time, these were your meetings. And it's up to you to take care of them. And it's up to you to put money in the basket. And it's up to you to set out the literature. And then something happened to me at about four and five years sober. It became my meetings. This was my group. And my pride swelled up. And I started running the thing myself. It was my coffee pot, and it was my mop. You know what I mean? You couldn't get the mop out of my hand, man. Give me the damn mop. You know what I mean? And then what eventually happens is it becomes our group, becomes our meeting, becomes our primary purpose, becomes our father. That word was never introduced in my life before. I didn't know nothing about sharing. I was selfish and I was self-centered. And so this first tradition was starting to open my eyes. And in the second tradition, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Now, This takes me right out of the picture. This takes anybody who wants to think that they're a big shot in AA right out of the picture. You know? Because it ain't up to anybody to run this group. Now we do what everybody votes on. No and you may not like the result. And most of us don't. Or we may not like the person that we voted in. Most of us don't. You know what I mean? (laughs) But the group decides. And we're all part of that group. And if you don't vote, then you don't have any there should be any beef about it if you don't if you don't take part in these things. But the group decides how this is going to run. It's up to us to, to vote on certain things and how we want certain things done. It's not just one person's deal, you see. And for me, the most important pitch in this in this tradition is not so much uh, to talk about an ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express it, but the word "our trusted servants." We're all trusted servants. All of us. All of us are trusted servants of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not just people with over 15 years, not just people who have started the meeting, but we're all trusted servants. And the question isn't so much, can we trust people in here or can we trust an ultimate authority? What eventually happens to people like me and you is the question is this, can you be trusted? Can you be trusted to carry this message? Can you be trusted to do what you're supposed to do in your group? It's on you. Are you a trusted servant? Are you doing what this book tells you to do? Are you doing the best you can in your home group? Or are you just one of those silent scorners who just sit around and bag the meeting but yet do nothing about it? Do nothing for the group. Just another place for you to come and radiate hate. You know what I mean? And so this book is telling me that I have a a principle to abide to. And the question isn't who's serving me, but what am I serving? What am I doing? Can I be a trust? Am I trying to carry the message? Am I doing what I can to uphold that tradition in my life and the, and the other principles? You know, and uh, and that's a that's a mainstay for me. You know, uh, when I think about a trusted servant, the man that comes to my mind was Alex. Alex was a real trusted servant. He was an example. You know. And that's, the, and that's the question that I have to me. Am I an elder statesman or am I one of those bleeding deacons? Am I an example to anybody, you know? Am I an example of this program working in my life? You know, you never know who's watching. You never know. You never know who's listening, who's coming in here for the first time, you know? And what do they see? They see a bunch of people cussing and yammering and stuff like that or or they see some levity. They see a couple people dancing in the kitchen and throwing sausages around and stuff, you know. And so it's up to us to to be the uh, trusted servants, you know. And on Tradition 3, it talks about that the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. This tradition is packed with meaning, for AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you're a member if you say so. Nobody can declare you in and nobody can keep you out. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we will still can't deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid of you. We're not afraid you'll harm us. Never mind how twisted or violent you may be. We just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we had. So you're a member the minute you declare yourself a member. Now, what I want to bring out in this thing here is the long form of Tradition 3. Our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism, period. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover, nor A.A. membership ever depend on money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an A.A. group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. If you suffer from alcoholism, that's why we have open meetings, so that people can come in here and identify and find out the difference between a hard drinker, a heavy drinker, or somebody who suffers from alcoholism that their problem isn't when they're drinking, their problem is when they're not drinking. That if you're a hard drinker, given any reasonable excuse, you can swear off forever with a bad liver or a loss of job or a loss of... You just swear off forever and everything's all right. But what about the real alcoholic? What about the real alcoholic that no matter what's going on in his life, every time he stops drinking, he always returns, even when he doesn't want to? What about that baffling guy? who's lost the ability of control. What about that guy? And that's what this is about. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA. See, at first, these guys were so into, we just want the pure Alkis, right? Well, nobody but pure alkyes coming in here, the hardcore alkyes. They were like that before Alcoholics Anonymous was just starting out. And the total list was a mile long of all the rules that had to be in effect everywhere. Nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. And they say we were resolved to admit nobody to AA but that hypothetical class of people we term pure alcoholics. Except for the guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, tramps, Asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Well, this damn room would be empty. <laughs> they just nailed everybody here, you know what I mean? We became so rigid that all we wanted was the pure alkies that nobody could conform to that. So they had to, they had to come into terms that anybody can join as long as they have alcoholism. No matter what the other trains are, what is the locomotive? If you have alcoholism, it doesn't matter what else you did. We're not concerned with that. We're concerned that if you have alcoholism or not. Why is that? To preserve the simple principle of identification. Identification. Now, most of these traditions became live in my life, because of my violations with them. That's when they become clear. And how did I violate this tradition? It was very, it became very clear to me when I violated this tradition. I'll never forget it. I was talking at a conference in Oregon, oh, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, maybe 15 years ago. And I was diagnosed with a liver disease. And uh, I was talking at this conference. And during my talk, at towards the end, I, I kind of mentioned about this diagnosis with this liver disease that I had. And then I ended my talk. And like at the end of talk, some people, you know, want to thank you and some people want to kick your ass, you know what I mean? But at the, at the end of the talk, I'm thanking some folks, and they're thanking me. And way at the tail end is this little guy who wants to talk to me. He says... Uh, I just heard what you were talking about about your liver disease and he says I wanted to talk to you about that about you having hepatitis and stuff like that and I said sure and we started talking about it and then this other little fella came up I'll never forget this he says "Uh, I, I don't mean to bother you he says but I wanted to thank you about your talk he says because I've been slipping in and out of AA for eight years And I heard you talk about that, and I'd like to talk to you about that. I told the man who identified with me slipping in AA to wait, and I began to talk to this other guy about something, an outside disorder, my hepatitis. The alky was avoided. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you. But what is my primary purpose here? To talk about hepatitis or to help the alcoholic who still suffers? Now, that may not be a violation to anybody else. But you know when you do wrong, there's a siren that goes off. And, man, that thing went off in me. And I'm talking to this guy about my half-assed liver and the alky wandered off. My ego was telling me that he'll wait for me. And I got done talking to him, the little guy was gone. Wonder if that would have happened to me. Wonder if that would have happened to me when I was new somebody did that. And I realized that I've got to stick to my course here. That there's nothing wrong with mentioning that in your talk or something like that. But for me to avoid the drunk, to allude to some other thing that maybe he could have waited. You know, it's a mistake that I never want to make again, and I haven't. But that's what brought this home to me. Now, this next tradition where we talk about, and I probably won't, fortunately, not go through all of them. You guys will luck out this morning. Tradition four, it says, each group should be autonomous, accepting in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. It says, over the years, every conceivable deviation from our 12 steps and 12 traditions have been tried. That was sure to be since we are largely a band of ego driven individuals, children of chaos. We definitely played with every brand of fire only to emerge unharmed and we think wiser. These very deviations created a vast process of trial and error under the grace of God, has brought us to where we stand today. Now, each AA group has to stick to its course or it'll hopelessly be lost. Sobriety has to be its sole objective. In all other respects, there was perfect freedom from will and actions. Every group has a right to be wrong. Every AA group ought not endorse not to do anything which would greatly injure AA as a whole, nor ought it affiliate itself with anything or anybody else that has. Nobody can tell this group how to run itself. That's the neat thing about Autonomy. This is your group. You guys can vote on how you want to run it. You guys can even violate traditions if you want. Nobody can tell this group how to run it. Nor do you have the right to tell any other groups how to run it. You know? This is up to you. Every individual this group is self-governing, so to speak. It's up to the individuals here to vote on how this, how this group is run and stuff like that. And uh, it's a very very unique thing this autonomy you know and yet we have so many groups now who are functioning well and we sit around and badmouth the other ones because they're not doing it right you know what I mean but uh, and that's it nobody can tell this group uh, how much money to collect or you know the hours of it it's your group it's your home group and, uh, and that's what kind of makes this a neat little uh, tradition for me, is that nobody has the right to tell us what to do in our home group. It's up to our home group, you know. And In Tradition 5, it says each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the, to the alcoholic who still suffers. The very life of our fellowship requires the preservation of this principle just as firmly bound by obligation are the members of Alcoholics Anonymous who have demonstrated that they can help problem drinkers as others seldom can. The unique ability of each AA to identify with him and himself and bring recovery to the newcomer has no way depends upon his learning eloquence. The only thing that matters is that he's an alcoholic who has found the key to our sobriety. The legacies of suffering and recovering are easily passed among alcoholics who stay sober. This is our gift from God. There is no other reason for this singleness of purpose. It is the great paradox of AA that we know we can seldom keep this precious gift of sobriety unless we give it away. That's our primary purpose. That's that's my reason for living. My primary purpose isn't to have a job or to have a wife or to have a dog. My primary purpose is to carry this message. And to some of us, before we come to Alcoholics Anonymous, we were just wandering around out there like a leaf in the wind, you know, not wondering, had no cause for living. Everything was selfish and self-centered, had no reason. And for the first time in life, we have a primary, we have a cause, we have a reason for our existence. And it isn't about getting anything. It's about carrying this message that's saving our life and to tell other folks about it. That's our primary purpose, man. What is the big picture at the end of every day when your boss yells at you or you're not getting along with your spouse or something's wrong with your car or there's a tragedy in your life? What is the big picture? It's easy to get caught up in all these things and woe is me. But what is the big picture? The saving grace of all that is that my primary purpose is to stay sober. That's my prim- that's my saving grace, man. I can get wrapped up in all these things and think, my God, the world is coming to an end. And wait a minute, man. Wait a minute. What's the primary purpose? Is this the end of the world here? You know? Is this what it's all about? And I can get real caught up in that. And so it's so good for me to have a net. You know? What I had to do is I had to start lowering the bar. I expected perfection and I had so many expectations. You know, I had all these unreasonable demands on life. And isn't it just like somebody, some loser like me, to have demands on things, how they should turn out and what they should do, you know? Because I had no other purpose. I was caught up in the material. And this thing, my primary purpose, is to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. It isn't to be a speaker, it isn't to be a plumber. You know, that my sole aim in life is to share this gift with somebody who wants it just for the sheer joy of doing it, you know. And it's my saving grace because by doing so, my sobriety is getting insurance for one more day, you know. And then we talk about tradition six. Uh, I ought never endorse finance or lend the AA name to any related facility or, or uh Outside enterprise, less problems of money and property and prestige will divert us from our primary purpose. Now, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, this is the first thing that got a bunch of people sober. Back in the middle of the 1800s, there was a group called the Washingtonians who had the same result that we did. Within a matter of years, the Washingtonians had over 100,000 people that weren't drinking. But their solution was not spiritual. Their solution had to do with willpower, fellowship, and raising money. That's what their solution was. Their solution was to get as many people as they can doing the same thing. And they had no principles. They had no, no steps that they were going through. They were just banding together and not drinking no matter what, and having these little meetings and, and stuff like that, and, and, and raising money for their membership. And what had happened is that uh, they were destroyed within seven years. You know, they started getting caught up, and they started having uh, politicians come and speak at their meetings, and they started uh, uh, joining themselves with different brands of politicians. And, and And uh, they started, uh, you know, uh, talking about different religions in their group and stuff like that. And they were all over the place because they were about getting a lot of people. We don't need any other members in AA. We don't have any membership drives here. We're not in to see how many people we can pack in the room. Unity in Alcoholics Anonymous isn't how many people you can pack in a room. That's chaos, you know. Unity in Alcoholics Anonymous is how many folks can we get to adhere to these traditions in these steps. How many folks can we get here to stick to their primary purpose, you know, and and to carry this message? And the Washingtonians were quickly destroyed in seven years. They just disappeared because they got into the material and raising money and, and doing all this stuff. That Alcoholics Anonymous learned from that, you know, that it wasn't about, uh, you know, uh, all this uh, ego-driven stuff that they got caught up in, you know. And uh, every group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Self-supporting alcoholics. Who ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) We find that's what we have to be. This principle is telling evidence of the profound change that AA has wrought in all of us. Yeah, because we're all penny pinchers. You want to see a guy become selfish, watch him get sober. He used to throw money in all the bars, buy drinks for everybody. Now he comes to AA and he wants change for a dollar when he's putting it in the basket. You know what I mean? And we become tight with our money because we want to hold on to it. Afraid we're not going to have any more. Do you know more that, that the more money I put in the basket, the more I get back from my job? Isn't that amazing? That if it was just up to some of these folks, they watch the front row or some people just put in all the money and they figure, well, what the heck, they just put in, I don't need to put in any. See, that contributes to the unity of the group, that everybody contributes, that no matter how less dough you have, if you could just put in a penny, put in something, because it's up to us to keep this group surviving. We're self-supporting. Well, that, that principle right there is odd to most of the people in here. We've been leaning on folks our entire life, man. You know? And then for us to become self... See, if somebody comes in here... We had that happen in our home group. Uh, the hall that we rented. They were going to rent us the hall under one condition, that they could open up their concession stand and sell their coffee and candy. Well, we didn't want any part of that. We wanted to sell our own coffee. We wanted our own coffee makers. And before you know it, it because the, the group was letting that happen, they wanted to start doing other things. See, who's he who pays the piper plays the tune. And the more we have somebody outside contrib- contributing to your group, the more we let them think that they can add something to the meeting. There was a hospital meeting in our area who let us have the meeting in the hospital under one condition, that they make the coffee. And before you know it, they were bringing their patients in there. And before you know it, they wanted their patients to share in AA. And before you know it, that hospital took over the whole meeting, you know. And uh, we learned from that, you know. that We're self-supporting. We'll make our own coffee. We'll clean our own floors. We'll put up our own chairs. We'll carry our own message, you know. And so self-support self has to do with a lot of things besides, uh, besides the, the money in the basket. But it certainly starts there. We don't want anybody to pay any more for us. I've had my hand out my entire life, depending on other people, to take care of me. And we're going to take, this is RAA. And that keeps it RAA by not letting anybody else. I mean, do you, you ever lend anybody any money? Probably not. Did you ever lend any money in AA to somebody? You give them a 10 or a 20? I am no longer wondering how that guy's day went. The moment he enters that room, I'm wondering where my money is. Money changed the personality of everything, man. Because most people's serenity is attached to their wallet. And the moment that I start lending money... And giving money out, I expect I, I get a little power trip from that. You know what I mean? And so money is very funny here, and all we want is our own money. We don't want anybody else, you know, contributing to this, because they will have the, the privilege of of moving us around or telling us we can't sit there or something like that. So this is our A.A. It's our money, and it's up to us to keep these things uh, alive. And tradition 8 it talks about professionalism. Well there's my Starbucks. It says Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our cent- service centers may employ special workers. Alcoholics Anonymous will never have a professional class. Alcoholics will simply not listen to paid 12-step workers. Almost from the beginning we've been positive that face-to-face work with the alcoholic who suffers can be based only on the desire to help and be helped. When an AA talks for money, whether at a meeting or at a single newcomer, it can have a very bad effect on him too. The money motive compromises him and everything he says and does for his prospects. What we have here in Alcoholics Anonymous and most of us experience has been a free gift. We've experienced a free gift, God-given if you will. How do you charge for a free gift? What would the price be? How can you you put a price on what your sponsor has done for you? How can you put a price on what that first man or woman has done to you when you come to... How do you put a price on that? How do you put a price on that 12th step? My first sponsor... And there is no other love that an alcoholic will ever have that is more profound than the love you have for your sponsor. And my first sponsor, God love him, Don, that Montana cowboy, he loved you guys, he loved you guys a lot. And the first thing that he did with me when he had me, man, is he got me into cleaning up my meetings and doing something in my meetings, and and talking to new guys, and taking me to jails, and taking me to penitentiaries, and getting me in service. Thank God he got me in the mainstream of alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God he didn't tell me to don't drink unless your ass falls off. Come back 30 days later, no ass, you know what I mean? He got me busy. He got my hands busy because my head was busy. I had one guy ask me the other day, he says, my head's killing me. How do you quiet the voices in your head? I said, easy. Put three live ones in your car, for God's sakes, man. That'll quiet it down, you know. And uh, and Don got me busy. And, and Don identified with being new and being busy and stuff like that. But he knew the importance of what it meant to to do something for the meetings that were saving my life instead of just sitting there wondering when I'm going to get my... He got my hands dirty. He got me busy being busy with you and setting up these meetings, and I love them dearly, and I still do. I'll always love that man. They called him half-day. He was a carpenter, and they called him half-day. And they called him half-day because he only worked a half-day. You know what I mean? And uh, what happened to Don when I was about a year and a half sober, is that business got slow, and we can all identify to that. Money got tight, and we can all identify to that. And he had a wife, and he had a daughter, and and, and, and things were just going bad. And his carpentry business was, was going south, and he didn't know what to do. And so what Don did is he went to night school, and he started taking up... Uh, chemical dependency, and alcoholism counseling. And Don was going to school to become a counselor. And what slowly started happening, damn near devastated me, is it took the cowboy out of him. There was no longer an alcoholic in the car with me. I couldn't identify with anything that Don was telling me anymore because he was using stuff like coping skills and and, and uh, you know and emotionalism and, and all these words that I can't even spell. And he was so learned about the disease that he lost my identification. I no longer had an alky in there. I had a I had a I had a teacher. And I don't need anybody to teach me about drinking and the effects. I need an example of what to do now that I'm sober. I, and my identification with him was lost and I didn't know what to do. Because now I got this counselor in here and I, and I started holding back things. Because I lost my trust in him. I wanted to talk to the dirty Montana drunk. I wanted to talk to that guy who was taking me to panels and stuff like that. And it was all lost because he got caught up in this professional thing and, and counseling drunks. There's a big difference between sponsoring and counseling. But you know, sometimes we get caught up in that. Sometimes newcomers use you as counselors. You can always tell when a newcomer is using you as a counselor. He tells you what he's done after he done it. It does the sponsor no good. It does a priest wonders. Tell him. It does a counselor wonders. It doesn't do a sponsor a damn bit of good if you go and tell him after you did. The, the whole idea of sponsorship is to bring him the crap while you're thinking about it. Make the sponsor do his job. What's he supposed to do after you tell him about Well, you know, I rounded up the pigs again. You know, what's he supposed to do? You know? What do you want me to do, pal? You know? I'm, I'm, I am useless, you know. You're supposed to bring me your problems. Bring your problems to your sponsor and take your solutions to your meetings. Don't bring your problems to the meetings and make it a big Oprah Winfrey show, for God's sakes, you know. You bring your solutions to the meetings. Take your problems to your sponsor, you know, before you act out on them, you know. That's the secret. And, uh, and I lost my identification with that man. And at a year and a half sober, I had to start looking for another sponsor. And boy, that tore me up. Because I felt like I was cheating on Don. I was so, I, I was, he, he gave me my life. He taught me about you guys. And I didn't want to find another. There was no, And the idea came that, you know what, you're not replacing him. Nobody can replace your first sponsor. You're just getting another one who's in tune with Alcoholics Anonymous. Doesn't make Don a bad man. But you see, my life's on the line here. This isn't about doing what's comfortable or what's pleasing. My life's on the line here. I need direction. I'm a self will run riot alcoholic left to his own devices, man. You never know what's going to happen. And I need somebody who's steeped in this thing and who's doing what I need to be doing. And that got me to get another sponsor. Now, the amazing thing about me and Don is we gave each other cakes every year until the day that he died about four years ago. And one of the last things I got to share with him was that how hard it was for me to leave him. And he says, Larry, he says, I understand that. He says, I understood that. He says, I knew when you went to that bellflower group that you found something. He says, you had a light in your eyes that I'd never seen. He says, I knew you found something there. And he says, I don't regret anything that's ever happened. No regrets. Isn't that amazing? He knew exactly what was going on. And it was the hardest decision that I ever made. And it was one that saved my life. Now in Tradition 9, it talks about, AA ought never be organized. Well, we don't got to worry about that here today. But we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for service. Alcoholics Anonymous is not organized. And what they're talking about isn't organization, you know, of, of anything else. You can't tell me that putting on this little weekend thing that there wasn't a little bit of organization going on. Somebody just didn't sit at home and all this stuff happened you better believe that there is a little bit of organization going what they're talking about to you who are new is that it's not organized like a business is organized where there's a president a vice president a treasurer public relations. it's not like that there's not one person at the top you know who's at the top in alcoholics anonymous the groups the groups it's like this everything is down to the, inter- the groups are the most important, and so when, you can't tell me that there was no. You can't tell me that putting on a little thing like this that there isn't any organization. There's a lot of organization. It's called structure. You got people who are in charge of certain things, and they delegate. There's a lot of organization here. That's what makes this thing so smooth. That's what makes our meetings so smooth. And the more people you get involved, you know. And it, there's a lot of, and a lot of people took part, you know, in, in putting this thing on, which makes this thing so neat. It wasn't just up to one person. You got five people jammed in the damn kitchen for God's sake, fighting over bread and sausage, you know. I danced with every one of them, <laughs> you know. But there's a lot of there's a lot of organization, and we and we all need to pitch in. But a lot of us are just bystanders. We we sit and, you know, it's funny. Alcoholics Anonymous is made of two classes of people. And they're easy to distinguish. There's a certain class of people who come to Alcoholics Anonymous, who sit over there, and they do nothing for the meeting, and their life just flourishes. Their life just gets better. And they do nothing for AA. And yet their life just comes together. And then there's another group of people who bust their butt for AA just to get along one day at a time. And both hate the other ones. <laughs> and the trouble with that is that, not that they're both in our meetings, it'll always be like that. They'll always be the doers and the not doers. The trouble is, is when the doers start sponsoring non-doers, and you're dragging these people through their sobriety, which I hate to do, Or the doers begin to, or the not doers, get a hold of an active guy. And they don't know what to do with them. When these people who do nothing for AA get a live man or woman, a real alky, and they tell them, oh, you don't have to be that busy. You don't have to go to so many meetings. What are you, a step-nancy? That'll kill people like me. That'll kill people like me. Thank God I got a hold of, a sponsor got a hold of me who got me busy in AA, you know, got me very busy because I was a a real alcoholic. He knew I needed to to be busy. So there is a lot of organization, and I thank God that this committee did what it could. There was a lot of work done, and there still is a lot of work being done for this thing, and and I appreciate everything because I know what it took. I know what it's like to be on those committees, you know. And see something and you want it to do well and stuff like that. And people driving me to the airport and dropping me off. and I thank God that you guys were that busy. And it just makes me want to do that more when I go to my home group, you know. Now, Tradition 10 and 11 is no opinion on outside issues. Oh, really? I tell you what that did for me. These 10, 11, and 12 are talking about anonymity. talks about how I behave. You know, you never know when there's a new guy listening to you or a new gal. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be new and you see a group of guys talking and they start talking about their opinions of a race or opinions of a religion or opinions of a personality trait that you have or something like that, you know. What's that going to do to that new man or woman? It's going to make them feel like they don't belong. And I tell you, that's an awful feeling to have, is to finally come to Alcoholics Anonymous, where you never fit in anywhere, and then here you're supposed to be the only answer to life, and you feel like you don't belong here either. See, I've got to watch that. I've got to watch what I talk about around you. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous and its anonymity is very special to us. Your anonymity is a priceless gift here. And what does that mean? Well, for me, that means to go around and, and make a big deal out of AA to people who aren't in it. You know? I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's very priceless to me. It's very special to me. And it's not up to me to break my anonymity to everybody, just to, like it's, you know, hey, do I'm an, you know, telling everybody at work, you know, and telling everybody who don't know me, hey, I'm Larry, I'm an alcoholic, you know, that scares the crap out of some people, you know what I mean? Not everybody's happy that you're an alky, you know, or now that you're working for him, where's he at? You know what I mean? You know. And, and we get used to breaking our anonymity, our ego. I mean, we're so happy that we found utopia, that we want to stand on the hilltops and, and shout it out. You know what I mean? And uh, not everybody is happy as hell, you know, that you're, you know, it's, and I get offended sometimes when certain religious groups are like that. That's what turned me off, you know, to certain religions. They were banging tambourines and shaking their stuff on every corner and stuff like that, and... You know, because what you are out there speaks so loud that people don't hear a word you're saying. I would rather people think that I'm a good worker than a good AA. You see, what I'm like when I leave you has everything to do with what type of member I am without telling anybody I am. So you can be a fine example of Alcoholics Anonymous, without anybody ever knowing that you're in AA. And that's the kind of anonymity that's an attraction. Somebody knows there's something about that guy. There's something about that man's consistency. He's always here on time. There's something about that gal, man. She's always looking clean and sharp. And there's that certain something. And it keeps them a little curious about you because you're always showing up at work and you're always doing what you're supposed to. I like that. I like that about us. Rather than having all these jewelry and deal of Bill and Bill's kid and you know, all these you know, got the loudspeakers on and you know, all that stuff and that's what the that's what the public sees in AA. See this neighborhood, this whole neighborhood is watching us this weekend. And they're wondering what's going on here. They're wondering what's going on in the parking lot and what's all the levity and And what's going on there? And we're examples of Alcoholics Anonymous. And can you imagine if there was mayhem going on in those parking lots? Everybody shouting, radios blasting, and you know, naked women and men running around and stuff like that, you know? That was not a bad idea, but not in this neighborhood, you know what I mean? So we're examples. We're examples of what Alcoholics Anonymous is without telling anybody we are. Why is that? Because we want to be an, an attraction. And we all know when we, we, should, we should break our... We all know when that's a... We break our anonymity when the cops pull us over just to get out of a speeding ticket, right? Well, I was on my way to an AA meeting, sir, you know? <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's another $50, you know what I mean? You know? We always break our anonymity for the wrong reasons, right? Well, you know, I want to pay back your money. I owe you $5,000, but I'm in AA and I've got 30 days and I promise I'll write you a check next year. You know, They don't want to hear that shit. They want their check, man, you know what I mean? But we all know when we should break our anonymity. When we're watching that gal at work and we see her coming to work and she's late again. She took another day off. There's another dent in the car, another bruise on her face. We all know. We all know when that time is to break our anonymity. And everything about you is going to play into that moment. See, we all had a moment. This fellowship that we say and live so well in was started on a moment, a little moment. In the early part of May in 1935, A stockbroker and a butt doctor got together. And Dr. Bob says, I don't want to talk to that stockbroker. I don't want to talk to any more people about my drinking. And we all know what that's like. I don't want to hear any more sermons about my drinking. I don't want anybody to intervene. I don't want the family. I don't want to hear no more about my drinking. That's my business. And Dr. Bob says, but because he's a friend of yours, his wife Ann's, he says, I'll listen to this man for 15 minutes. And Dr. Bob and Bill Smith went to the Cyberling Guest House for a 15-minute talk and came out five hours later. And they had a moment. They had a moment, which is why we're here today. They had a moment of identification. Dr. Bob came out of that house and he says, My God, Ann, that man understands my drinking. Now, how many people understood your drinking? We don't under, They don't understand why we drink, and we don't understand why they don't drink. Because they think it's a problem. Can't you see what you're doing to your life? And they don't understand that it's our answer, that it's our answer to anything. They don't get that. And they came out, and Dr. Bob had a moment, and Bill had a moment. And that's why we're gathered up here in our home groups every week, That's why we go to our book studies, and that's why we go to our speaker meetings, and that's why we go to our prisons, and that's why we go to our hospitals. Not so that we can feel wonderful because we've got it and they don't. What a sad thing to do. Well, I went and talked at the penitentiary, and boy, did I ever leave feeling grateful. How selfish is that? I don't go to the penitentiary to come out feeling grateful. I go to the penitentiary to bring those guys some gratitude and let them know that there's hope outside these gates. That even though you're locked up for 5 to 10 to 15, that there's hope there. That you don't have to live like that and you can start while you're locked up. What an amazing thing we have here. And so we're all gathered here this weekend and we gather every week so that some lady or some young man We'll have that moment where for the first time in our life, they might feel safe. They might feel safe for the first... When's the last time you felt safe? I didn't feel safety until I started loving and serving you. And I hoped every day I could see you again. Because I didn't want to be left out there alone. And you guys promised me that I would never have to be alone again. That you stay with us, Larry, and great things will. Now... You don't think your seat's important? You don't think your meeting's important? Let me tell you how important this is. Not too long ago, maybe about five years ago, maybe a little more, six, a man from uh, California called me up who was in charge of the central office of Alcoholics Anonymous in Santa Barbara. He says, Larry, there's a man who has 15 years sober in the Georgia State Penitentiary, which is another state, and he's coming to California to be transferred to another penitentiary, but he's in AA, and he's locked up, and he's doing AA. And he's coming to California, and he doesn't know anybody, and he was wondering if he could write you. I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to start. And so me and a guy named Samuel, a man who was going to be locked up for 20 to life, who had 15 years of sobriety, we started writing each other. And every month we would write each other. And I would tell him about you. I would tell him about my home group. I would tell him about where I sat in the third row in the third seat. And I would tell him about the friends that I met in Scotland. And I would tell him about things that were going on with my wife and my sponsor and my home group. And little by little we began to write. And he started writing to me about the steps and I'd write him about the first step. And he would write me about the first step. And we found ourselves going through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We went through all the steps. And he was a black guy. And I learned that by the fourth step. And so now I had a picture of this guy. And, and, I, th- and I, I had a voice. Do you guys know who Morgan Freeman is? I, yeah, every time I, he would write me, I would picture Morgan Freeman's voice. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so I had this picture. And several months went by, and we were on the 12th step. And Samuel wrote me, He says, Larry, he says, (sighs) He says, uh, after reading your letter on the 12th step, he says, I need to share something with you. He says, I'm out in the yard, and I'm watching the guys play handball. And I'm sitting on this sunny day, and he says, I've got a dream. I have a dream. He says, Larry, I've never had a dream before in my life. I've lived a life of nightmares. But I'm sitting here in this yard knowing that I'm going to do life in prison and I have a dream. And he says, I've got to tell you what that dream is. He says, I'm sitting in this yard and my dream is that one of these days I'm going to get out of here. One of these days I'm going to leave this penitentiary. And I'm going to take the bus. And I'm going to take that bus from Santa Barbara to Bellflower, California on a Monday night. And I'm going to go to the Kiwanis Club. And I'm going to come through the doors and I'm going to look for the third row and the third seat. And I'm going to come up and find you. He says, I dream about that every day. Every day I lay in my bunk thinking about that dream. And he says, it makes my stay here so much easier knowing that I'm going to see you. And I didn't know what to do with that. And after that letter, every Monday, man, towards the middle of the meeting, I'd look at the front door and see if there was anybody in the arches there. Every Monday I would look for that guy. And several months went by, and it was Christmas. It was in December. And I'm sitting in my meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's ten minutes before the meeting starts. And I see this black man coming over. And I don't think much of it. And this black man comes over, and he stands over there by the third row in the third seat. And he says, are you Larry Thomas? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he grabbed me, and he picked me up. Scared the shit out of me, man, you know what I mean? And he put me down, he says, my name is Samuel. And I said, thank God that is, man, you know. He says, he says, I came all the way over here to see if you were in the third row in the third seat. Samuel had made it. They let him out, man, and he knew where to go. He knew what to do and who to see. He knew where to look for us at. And that man's been out ever since. And he knew where to go. What an amazing thing we have in Alcoholics Anonymous. What an amazing thing. You never know who you're going to touch here. You never know what's going to happen. So if you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, I hope that you pursue this psychic change. I hope that you're here not just trying to just get something. I hope that you have a little plan, and your plan is to have that experience. And if you've had that experience, I hope your plan is to tell somebody about it. Thanks a lot, you guys. I'd like to thank Larry for sharing with us this morning. It was absolutely fantastic, truly, truly inspirational, uh, very emotional. Listening to that myself, and uh, absolutely brilliant. You know, and that's us now. We're uh, convening for lunch. Uh, we're back at 1:30, and I'd just like to finish this meeting with the Serenity Prayer. Uh, okay, if you're upstanding, please. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links.